Welcome to the latest edition of the Carmichael Governance Podcast. I'm Dermot O'Carbui, CEO of Carmichael. Carmichael is a charity that provides supports to other Irish charities, particularly in the area of governance. You can find details of what we do and a wide range of free resources on our website at carmichaelireland.ie. You can also find previous editions of our governance podcast on our website or on your favourite podcast platform, be that SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, Acast. My guest today is Jerry Egan. Jerry has had a, a long and varied career in the state sector, holding a number of senior roles. But more recently, Jerry has been involved as a consultant. And one of the areas that Jerry is consulting in is the whole area of a GDPR, which is one that was very, very much in people's minds about two years ago, but has fallen a little bit off the sort of people's radar, maybe somewhat. So I thought it might be useful to have a chat with Jerry because he's at the heart of all the, the whole area of GDPR preparation, but also post that DD back in May 2018. So, Jerry, where are we now in terms of GDPR and all that stress and hype that we had in 2018? Has it has it disappeared from people's agendas or is it still very much a live issue? Uh, I think it all depends, like so many of these things. Uh, like as recently as yesterday, we saw an announcement from Facebook that they had to postpone the launch of their new dating app right, or their new dating service on foot of a response from the Data Protection Commission saying that, you know, they hadn't been adequate quickly consulted and have time to think about this. So if somebody is in the market for a dating app, then, you know, this is very much a live issue. But for, I think, for organizations in the community voluntary and charity sector, I suppose my experience has been that, like a lot of things, organizations are probably in one of three places. So you have people who, before the regulation came in or around the time it came in, were working away proactively to become compliant, nice and quietly, under the radar, just getting the work done. Then you have people who are still hoping it's going to go away and it's not going to go away. And then you have people who are somewhere in the middle where they're working away and working away and chipping away and so on at this And I think as they're working through this, then people are finding that it's not as daunting and doesn't have to be as difficult as the initial hype led us to believe. We were very much actively involved with trying to provide advice and training to um, non-profits at the time. And there was a lot of, quite a bit of misinformation or or, um, myths emerging. What have you seen as some of the key lessons that have been learned from that whole process? I would take it things, things are, people's data are in much better shape than they would have been pre-GDPR. I think there are some myths that still persist. um, uh, And I'll come to one of those in just a second. But I think in the beginning, the perception was that the GDPR was all about preventing you from processing personal data, okay? Because, uh, and it still persists to this day where you hear people beginning sentences with, I can't do that because of GDPR, right? And some of that, in my view, is just down to a lack of knowledge. And I think then in a small number of cases, it's actually quite a willful thing. Because in a situation where people would prefer not to have to respond to a request from a data subject, for example, they're using the excuse of, well, I can't do that because... So I think that the so the, the first thing to say, I suppose, is that the GDPR is not about preventing the processing of personal data. The GDPR is about providing kind of a logical framework that ensures that if I give my personal data to an organization, they're going to use it for the intended purpose. They're only going to keep it for as long as they need it. They're going to keep it secure and they will respond to any requests and so on kind of from me. So the first kind of big myth is that 
GDPR is about preventing personal data from being processed. And in fact, I read a comment last week where somebody said, in fact, GDPR will be remembered as one of the most laudable actions the EU has ever taken on behalf of its citizens. Because the idea is to protect our privacy. At a different level then, the one myth that for me that is persisting and is causing a lot of issues is a belief that if I'm, a, if I'm an organisation, if I'm a data controller, I need the consent of the data subject to process their personal data. And that has given rise to this belief, I won't be able to do anything without somebody's consent. Whereas in reality, consent is one of six lawful processing conditions that organizations can use to process personal data. So if people are hung up on, I haven't got somebody's consent so I can't move on this, then they need to talk to somebody who can advise them about that because there are many ways of skinning that particular cat. When we were preparing ourselves here and Karen Michael, um, our training department were very anxious that we're going to lose all our database, which is a vital lifeline to communicate to organizations and individuals about what we're doing and what courses are coming up. And, and it was all, we have to get their consent, we have to get their consent. And I remember attending a seminar and somebody said, you, you know, if you have a genuine business reason, yeah. and as long as you provide mm-hmm. adequate processes for people to have them removed from your database if they're no longer removed, yeah. it is quite legitimate. And that was a big relief for us. And yeah. I think a lot of, that was probably typical mm-hmm. at the time that people grab onto something and then believe this is true and then yeah. go into a panic and, and, yeah. and, and, and deleted valuable data databases that they've spent years building up. Well, I know, for example, of one very significant UK charity that essentially suspended its fundraising for a year in order to be able to clean up its database based on incorrect advice that they needed the consent of everybody who was in that database to continue to contact. And I'm talking about kind of a multi-million euro hit to the fundraising effort as a result of that. So the point about it is that if you're involved in processing somebody's personal data, there are a number of simple rules and I might just kind of run through those. So the first thing is that we have to be transparent. In other words, we have to tell the data subject, you and me, what we're planning on using their data for. We have to use the data for a lawful purpose, and that lawful purpose will be aligned to the mission of the organization. What does the organization do? And then we have to identify a lawful processing condition. And those lawful processing conditions can include consent, but they can include what you've also referred to, which is legitimate interests. It is in the legitimate interests of the business to process personal data for a particular purpose. And all of those um, things I've just referred to relate to principle one of GDPR. So principle two then is called purpose limitation, and that's about using the data only for the purpose that we acquired it. Principle three is about minimization of processing, which is about collecting only the data that we need. And then principle four is about accuracy and quality, which is about keeping the data that we collect accurate and up to date. Principle five is about keeping the data only for as long as we need it. And then principle six is about keeping the data secure. So if we just think about those as a simple, a set of simple rules to apply, then we won't go far wrong. What have the, one, the organizations you've been working on, that, what struck you as good things they have done um, as a result of the GDR process? What, what sort of other benefits have they gained from 
putting their house in order in terms of how they look after the data that they have? There are probably two principal benefits, I think. The first one has been that it has caused people, say, to look at the database that they have. And this might be a database of members or volunteers or whatever it might be. And to really think about how active that database is and how do they communicate with those people? Because, you know, we all know of organizations that have very long mailing lists or very long lists of potential donors and whatever else. And they're afraid maybe to get rid of some of that, that there's some kind of value that they perceive that's not immediately obvious. So the very fact then that it has forced people to clean that up and is then causing them to engage and say, OK, so these are the people who are really interested in what we do. These are the people who are donating consistently to what we do. These are the people who are signing up for newsletters and so on. So people have a much better sense of who their real stakeholders are and those that they should be paying more attention to. I think that's one thing. I think the other thing that has happened is that in loads of organizations and, and charities and community groups are not unique in this at all but in lots of organizations there's a tendency to hold on to information for longer than we actually need it (laughs) in the mistaken belief that this information is an asset for our organization but in every organization there comes a point where having personal information becomes a liability rather than an asset and in our every organization what we try and do is we try and build our assets and we try and reduce our liabilities so if for example I'm a charity and I'm holding on to bank account details of people who last donated money to me five years ago. That information is not an asset. It's a liability and I potentially am putting that data at risk. And if I do that, the people whose information I have will be very quickly on the phone to say, why the hell have you still got that bank account details five years later? So the very fact of having to challenge the data that people have and the use of that data is kind of streamlining things and I think bringing a greater focus to say, look, these are the 100 people or the 500 people that are really important to us rather than this kind of spurious list of 7,000 people, most of whom don't actually engage with our organisation at all. Was one of the difficulties for a lot of organisations, particularly in the in, in this, the sector, is that a lot of organisations are very very small, and it was a time issue for them. Mm-hmm. Was there sort of, and I know there are some that may not may not have been as rigorous as they should have been in terms of getting ready for GDPR. If if there are those organisations out there listening today, what would be your advice to those organisations that may not have gone through that rigorous mm-hmm. process of looking what they've got? determine why they have that information and then hmm. uh, personal data that they should no longer hold. You know, there's an old Chinese proverb which sort of says that the best time to plant a tree was 100 years ago and the next best time is to plant it now, <coughs> right? Or words to that effect, right? So I think that, um, you know, the GDPR is not a one-day wonder. So if you didn't start two years ago, or in fact, if you didn't start in April 2016 when the regulation first came in because we were given a two-year lead-in period, then you need to start now. And, you know, what we need to do really is to focus on, so what personal data do we have and what data subjects does that belong to? So that's our starting point. And then once we establish that, then we need to apply these filters that I mentioned a little while ago. You know, we need to identify what we're using that data for, you know, what different purposes. Um, We need to, you know, make sure we're only collecting data that we need, etc., etc. So, you know, it's not too late. Um, 
the and this is not going away so if you haven't already put a program and one in place like i would encourage people to you know to go and get some training i think is really important because you know i've met a lot of people from different organizations for whom i've done training and i know carmichael does training in this area as does the wheel and others and lots of people kind of blundered into this and then 12 months later they said we better go and get some advice or go and get some training and I think that if you haven't started yet, look for an upcoming course, go and do some training. And that not only will it tell you what the regulation is about, but good training will also tell you what it is you need to do to comply. The other thing that I've noticed, and I'm probably a bit guilty of this myself, is you know, once you have this big deadline looming and you get your house in order and you've got it, did that piece of work, you did park it and you forget about it. We, we, we've done that purge, we've done that clean yeah. and it's nearly two years since the, the sort of implementation data and it may not have been, quite, might be, have been quite some time since you've looked at it. What would you suggest, say to those organisations that did a big push around May, May 2018 yeah. and have then more or less parked GDPR as, as, as a live issue for their organisation? Yeah, so I think that there are a few things that people can do. Um, I think one is identifying kind of data protection as a risk in your risk register i think is a is a valuable thing to do and if only if if that means that that at least only kind of two or three times a year either the audit committee if you have one or the risk committee if you have one or the board will at least have a look at this and say okay has our risk in relation to data protection increased or decreased over the past period it keeps it on the radar and it forces us to think about kind of what mitigating actions we might take the second thing I think we can do is, is organizations are accustomed, say, to keeping their financial records and disposing of them on a seven-year cycle. So thinking about a similar process whereby, uh, you know, every January or every February, perhaps even as part of that process of purging our financial records, we might do even a very basic look at the personal data that we have and just asking ourselves the questions whether that's still relevant and so on for us or whether perhaps, you know, we did a particular one-off fundraising campaign and we collected some data, we're not going to use that again, so therefore we should maybe get rid of that data, okay? So I think what it is, is about maybe kind of creating some triggers or some reminders as part of the normal business cycle of the organization and say every October we have a look at this, and that look might only take 15 or 20 minutes just to say, is there anything fundamentally different that we should be doing? So I think trying to routinize our processes around this is, is a helpful way of doing it, rather than just waiting till I read something in the newspaper and say, God, I must do something about that. Talk about reading, reading things in the newspaper. Again, you get a lot of these oddball cases that appear in the media and sort of said of overzealous interpretation of the, um, one that struck us because we do have a sign-in book here and for some state organisations says, well, we can't have a sign-in book. Yeah. Has there been any case law emerging? Because you know, a lot of times when I was talking to solicitors at the time, they said, there's a lot of open-ended. Till we get the case law, we yeah. won't know how things will be interpreted or how they will yeah. work in practice. Yeah. It was certainly in Ireland, Ireland, um, there hasn't been much in the way of case law yet. But I think it's important to distinguish between kind of case law where you've got definitive rulings on the facts uh, of a particular situation and kind of general guidance. Okay, And there's lots of very valuable general guidance available from the likes of the Data Protection Commission, for example, You know, who will come out pretty much at least once a month with something new 
which maybe has arisen. Okay, And then you also have guidance from the likes of the Information Commission in the UK, which I find is a really good resource. And then at a European level, you also have the European Data Protection Board. All of these people have Twitter accounts. They all have LinkedIn accounts. You know, it's very easy just to follow these people. And as stuff happens, at least you see the headline and, and you can determine whether something is relevant, you know, to you or not. Can you uh, some examples of interesting terms that, that have emerged that sort of that struck you? So I wouldn't have thought that, or that's helpful that are coming from, from those sources. Yeah, so, I mean, if you if you take the, like, the example of the sign-in books, for example, was just one that kind of came up. And the I think what triggered that was was uh, there was a decision by the Office of Public Works that it was going to remove visitor books from all kind of state attractions. And, you know, for those who've visited places like the Battle of the Boyne site or Newgrange or whatever it might be, you know, you see all kinds of comments in these books where people from overseas talk about their experience of Ireland and whatever. And it's a very rich kind of tapestry. And in that particular case, in fact, the Data Protection Commission was very quick to come out and say, no, don't remove those books. That's not necessary. So if you think about that as a particular example, so in Carmichael this morning, when I came in here to do this, I signed in and I know that the purpose for me signing in here is for reasons of safety, so that if there needed to be an evacuation, management knows who's in the building. So there we have a lawful purpose for processing that personal data. So, you know, the whole point about this is that GDPR is very logical. And, you know, most organizations will not have a problem identifying why they're processing some kind of particular personal data. Right? So that was one kind of practical piece of advice, I suppose, that I you know, found. I think the other big kind of practical advice was, you know, where lots of examples were given of what constitutes legitimate interests. Because in the beginning, as I said a little while ago, lots of organizations were in this space where they absolutely believed that they needed needed somebody's consent to process their personal data. And over time, organizations that started from that position have actually migrated to a position where, in fact, their basis for processing data has much more to do with the legitimate business of the organization rather than relying on the data subject's consent. One of the things I remember at the time, um, in a, a, when I was a frequent attender of briefing and training, just to keep myself at speed, but there was this mix of between because I have a lot of data on my personal phone, which is also my business phone, that I said, is that is that data covered by data privacy? And um, because I would have a habit, because um, I'm. My memory is going at times, so I, I would put down some name notes and contacts if I knew the name of the partner or the first name of the partner and things like that. Yeah. There's some questions was, why do I have that data? Is it legitimate? Is it, mm. you know, so yeah. th- are those sort of things sort of getting clarified now as, as we've moved on from the sort of the, the hype uh, that was around and sort of the extreme positions or some commentators are taking on that? Yeah, so I, I think, um, you know, a lot more was, was kind of common sense has kind of prevailed in the meantime, because in my experience, like a lot of the, the training and the advice was being offered in the beginning of this was extremely risk averse and the the starting point for the conversation always was do you know there's a potential 20 million fine for breach of gdpr so it's no surprise that people were scared so i think that there's two two things to say about this one is that a lot of what people in the beginning i suppose considered was personal data is in fact business data rather than personal data so if i happen to have details you know of a sales 
sales rep who provides me, who sends me, who sells me stationery. Or I happen to have, you know, your details, Dermot, as the CEO of Carmichael or whatever it might be. That's data that I acquire in the context of a business relationship that I have with those organizations. And in my mind, you know, that is not pure personal data in the sense that, that GDPR is intended to cover. Now, that's not to say that I, you know, should not be careful with your mobile number or your email details or whatever, which are a matter of public record anyway. But in the beginning, we had the situation, I suppose, whereby there was a belief that lots of information to do with all of these different, as I said, suppliers and so on, was actually kind of personal data that needed those protections. Whereas I think in reality, it has become clear that that's not in fact kind of personal data. Now, having said that, it's really important that we take care of things like our phones and our laptops and so on, because, you know, lots of us are in a situation where we might take, you know, work home from the office. Um, you know, so if, you know, if you have a situation where you have lots of personal data on your laptop, Laptop, for example, as a very minimum, you want to have that kind of, you know, protected by a really strong password. Okay, and in fact, you know, depending on the sensitivity of the data, you might want to have it encrypted. So at least you can sort of say that if my laptop is mislaid or my laptop is stolen, I'm absolutely satisfied that the personal data on that can't be accessed because most of the data breaches that occur and that are investigated by the Data Protection Commission and so on arise from unauthorized access or unauthorized disclosure to personal data. You know, we hear a lot of hype about um, things like uh, cyber attacks and so on, and, and yet they're a reality of life, and absolutely they are. But the fact of the matter is that most data breaches occur by people doing things accidentally or stupidly, um, you know, giving people access to personal data that they shouldn't have. And this would include things like, you know, e data being emailed to the wrong person, um, which is a very, you know, autofill in Outlook is a terror, okay? You know, the number of emails I've received that were intended for other people, you know, are things we need to watch out for. Uh, making sure within our organizations that we restrict access to personal data only to people who need to see that information. So even if I'm a small charity and I've got one person dealing with volunteers and somebody else dealing with fundraising, the person who's dealing with fundraising doesn't need to have access to the personal data of the volunteers and vice versa. So we need to think about ways in which we segment the data that we have and that we control access and so on to it. So my view and my advice, I suppose, to smaller organizations is that compliance with GDPR is not a big bang. It's a series of small things that we can do, each of which will improve our compliance by 5%. And, and, and I think the, the value to is sort of busting a lot of the myths and, and misconceptions out there because um, there, there are a lot still out there and I think getting clear clarity around in some of the basic things it's been very, very helpful and I would echo your, your recommendations that you've said that every charity should even set it down a sort of a, a one day a year to sort of take stock in terms of their GDPR requirements and are, are there data items that you no longer require? And also the idea of getting training and refresher training because having received a lot of uh, being at training and received unclear advice because at the time it was all very, very new, 
that may be no, no harm now to sort of say, well, maybe we should do some refresher training uh, in terms of what suits our organisation. So, Jerry Egan, thank you very much. It's been a very, very informative chat, and um, GDPR will be with us, and I think it's, it is a force for good for our society, and we need to look at it that way because it's in all our interest that our personal data is properly protected. So, thank you. Thanks, Dermot. Thank you for listening to our latest Carmichael Governance podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, it would be of great benefit to us if you could give it a rating, as that helps to create greater awareness of these podcasts. So until the next time, Slán Gofol.